Welcome to the Lexington Public Library's Tales from the Kentucky Room podcast, where we discuss everything Lexington and Fayette County history. I'm Miriam, and in each episode of this podcast, we will feature a guest that will share a piece of local history. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Good day, everybody. Thank you for joining us. So today we're going to have Doug Tattershall to talk about Bell Breezing, who was the infamous, nationally known brothel owner, Bell Breezing. Doug Tattershall grew up in Lexington, Kentucky. He studied journalism and political science at the University of Kentucky and worked as a news reporter for the Advocate Messenger in Danville, Kentucky, before working in public relations. Today, he works as a freelance writer and media relations coordinator at the Lexington Public Library. He is the author of Bell Breezing, American Magdalene. Welcome, Doug. Thank you. Thanks thanks for coming. So can we get started by just telling us a little bit about Belle Breezing, where she grew up, where she was born, and her early life? Okay. Mm-hmm. Belle Breezing was a, a girl from Lexington, grew up probably literally on the wrong side of the tracks. Mm-hmm. They, we don't know exactly where her childhood home was, her first home where she yeah. was born, but there was a railroad yard and there was a sort of a skid row there that mm-hmm. may have been where she was born. She grew up poor. She was born illegitimate, okay. which was very much part of the status that was put on her from the very from beginning the very that impacted okay. her life. Her mother, she was the second daughter. Okay. Of the, uh, her mother had another illegitimate child before. And so when she was growing up, it was a rough life. Her mm-hmm. mother was also a prostitute okay. and an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. She married a man named George Breezing, okay. who was a shop owner, uh, owned a grocery store in Lexington, several different grocery stores in Lexington. And so she kind of lived this rough life mm-hmm. and uh, became even more desperate as she became a teenager, um, found herself on her own, found yeah. herself pregnant on her own. Mm-hmm. And after the baby was born, turned to prostitution. To but kind of support herself. To support and, herself yeah. and to support her child. Yeah. And ended up becoming, you know, a very wealthy woman. Famous, mm-hmm. her uh, brothel ended up being this very large house okay. in uh, what is now Northeastern Avenue. It was mm-hmm. McGowan Street at the time. And um, made her way into the novel and then the movie Gone with the Wind as Belle Watling. Yeah. So I, so I read that she inspired that character. Yes. Um, um, John Marsh was a man. He was from Maysville, Kentucky, came mm-hmm. to Lexington to um, study at UK, uh, was a journalist, worked for the Herald and the Leader, covered the crime beat, certainly okay. knew the story of Belle Breezing because mm-hmm. he was here really when her house was in its um, heyday, right before it closed, right before okay. World War One. He brought those stories with him to Atlanta when he moved there. He married Margaret Mitchell. Yeah, of course. And yeah. so uh, that's, that's, how that's how it got started. Mm-hmm. So what kind of relationship did she have with her stepfather and her and her mother? Well, George Breezing, when, whenever her mother married, her she and her sister took the name of whoever they were um, with. with. They were okay. never adopted. Okay. So she became Belle Breezing when her mother married um, George Breezing. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the reasons that I think her story is so interesting is we know so much about it. Yeah. A girl from with that background, we wouldn't know much. But her mother divorced mm-hmm. George Breezing, and there was these depositions, including her older sister's deposition about family life. Okay. And so we know something about about it. The other thing is that she had a scrapbook. And so we know, like, we have rewards of merit that she got at um, uh-huh. school. So we know a little bit about what was on her mind as a girl. And so it's pretty remarkable to have this girl, this woman who became wealthy and famous. We don't just know 
the wealthy and famous part. We know a lot about her childhood, about her childhood. more than we normally mm-hmm. would for a girl like that. Because she had a recorded history, yeah. basically. Yeah. And so um, so we know how, how rough it was, that there was abuse and that it was um, mutually abusive, the mm-hmm. um, marriage was. And we know that she was kind of, we also know because because she was so famous, there became this interest in a man named Joe Jordan, I believe it was, mm-hmm. um, a reporter with the Herald Leader, had a book contract. And so he started doing oral history on Belle Breezing, talked to all the girls who had worked in her in her brothel, okay. customers, and that sort of thing. So he began to gather some information, firsthand accounts from people who had known her. And, and so we know kind of the reception that she had at school because okay. the woman who became the first female police officer in Lexington mm-hmm. had gone to school with her. With Belle Breezing. With Belle Breezing. And so she was able to talk about knowing as a girl that she wasn't allowed to talk to Belle Breezing, but not because really Because of the relation, line. because of the reputation. The of, reputation. She yeah. already, at the by the age of 12, was well on her way to having. So how did she get started in the brothel business? How did she get her foot in the door, so to speak? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, she, um, at 15, she actually, she was pregnant. Uh-huh. She married. And the father or possibly, possibly, possibly one of the people who might have been the father. And within nine days, an old uh, boyfriend was found dead outside of her, the back of her house. Oh, goodness. And Mm -hmm. um, there was some point. It was probably suicide. Okay. But somebody went out and put the gun on the man's chest, nailed the gate shut to say that to be able to say he was never on this property. Mm -hmm. And so he had been. Tampered, tampered with, with basically. and so there were, probably by her husband, mm. and so there was some question in the newspapers, which were far more you know willing to speculate openly yeah. about things, yeah. saying we need you know somebody needs to talk to him, and you know really trying to drum up the interest in this story. Mm-hmm. So he fled to Cincinnati. He left, and, and he yeah. left and never came back. He okay. came he came back to Lexington, and he never came back to Bell. Okay, so that left her with uh, pregnant with her mother. Her husband gone. Alone. And, and yeah. so her mother, shortly after her daughter was born, died. Oh. And the story is that they went to the funeral, and when she came back with her baby, the door had been locked up. And the to landlord the to her home, and the landlord had kicked her out. Oh, goodness. So there she, um, you know, she looked to a neighbor to take care of her daughter. Mm-hmm. And probably pretty shortly after that was working as a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Eventually, she ends up at... Um, the what was kind of the premier brothel in Lexington, which was um, Jenny Hills, which is yeah. the um, Mary Todd Lincoln House. Okay, and that's where she got her start, kind of in the open, out knowing that she has. We can identify her you know, firmly as a prostitute at okay. the time. Shortly after, she she opened a brothel of her own. Mm-hmm. Um, so interestingly, the the home of Mary Todd Lincoln, where she grew up. Became a brothel. Became a brothel, yes. So, uh, yeah, so I mean, it's a fascinating, you know, Lexington was sort of, it was much more (laughs) compact. Uh So you, and you have a wide variety of people living a wide variety of different lives, and so, but it all rubs elbows much more. Oh, yeah. and so you end up with Mary Todd Lincoln's house as a brothel. <laughs> yeah. Did I wonder if the Todds knew that the person that purchased their home. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and the, the house itself has a history because yeah, even does. though it's Mary Todd's um, you know, childhood home, she wasn't born there. Mm-hmm. And the Todd family, I don't think, really owned that home for a real long time. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know— um, no, I think Abraham Lincoln stayed there. Yeah. Some, but um, so, there, you know, it was for the expanse of her childhood into her young adulthood, yeah. certainly. But 
but it had changed hands, and Jenny Hill didn't own it; she rented it. So yeah, uh, so yeah, a lot of things happened to that. Interesting. House. So when um, when Belle Breezing started her own business, do mm-hmm. we know who her, some of her clients were? Um, is there a record of it? Did she well, keep a good record book? <laughs> she kept a rec- record book. It would have been, it was probably coded. At least that's what some yeah, people I'm talk sure. about, it being coded. Mm-hmm. But um, there's also, um, now late in life, because she moved to these smaller um, houses on North Limestone mm-hmm. and ended up, when when there was a hue and cry about a number of brothels ending up right behind you know Transylvania University, yeah. that's when she moved to what was the accepted red light district, mm-hmm. but was able to expand this house and turn it into this you know fabulous mansion. Mm-hmm. She did have a record book that was found and kept and supposedly ended up at UK. Wow! But mm-hmm. it disappeared. Huh. So there's a mystery there how that happened. <laughs> about, you know, was even so many years later, was, you know, the need to protect names even. You and protect know, people's. Reputation. Reputation. Yeah, was yeah. still in, still very much a part of, of the culture here. Yeah. Although there's a lot of pho- photographs of people mm-hmm. in her parlor. And and when they, when they um, did start doing oral histories, of course, they talked to a lot of the girls. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they talk to also a lot of the customers. And yeah. so you have people that are well-known mm-hmm. who who went there. And, you know, they mean – now, one thing about the red light district, certainly it was they were it was prostitution. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Everybody knew. But um, it, it also was also a bar district. So mm-hmm. you would go and you would drink and you would dance and, you know, whether or not you went upstairs – so when these some people talk about being you know well known people talk about their experience mm-hmm. they don't necessarily talk about going upstairs but they do yeah. talk about the fact that it was a social hub yeah so it was basically like yeah like you said a social mm-hmm. gathering place and whether or not they made it upstairs yeah they don't always admit to that no <laughs> <laughs> um, where where was um, her business located exactly um, she was on um, McGowan mm-hmm. at Wilson Street which okay. and McGowan is now Northeastern Avenue so. Uh-huh. Kind of behind, kind of along Rose Lane on the north part that's been extended. It goes, that starts to go into that neighborhood. Okay. And is the mansion still standing? No. Uh, the mansion um, was auctioned off in the 1940s, in 1940 when she died. Um, a woman bought it and opened it as a boarding house. It had all these rooms. And so <laughs> that, that was a boarding house up until the 1970s. And then a a child was playing with matches, actually, and mm-hmm. burned it to oh. where it was burned beyond repair, and so it was torn down in the torn 1970s. Down. Okay. Um, how long did she run her business for? Um, let's see. I'm trying to – she was, I think, in 19, 1870 mm-hmm. or 1871, thereabouts. Yeah. Her large house opened in the 1890s. Okay. But it, she was born in 1860. Mm-hmm. By the, I think, you know, when she really was a Jenny Hill, she was a teenager still. Yeah. So, um, you know, 1880s, mm-hmm. she moves to North Lyme. Okay. And then she, 1890s, she moves to her mansion. The big, the main yeah. house and that, that she's uh, more uh, famous for. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. operated up until World War, into World War One. Incredible. And that's what really shut down kind of the red light district, but mm-hmm. especially her house because of, um, the city made these promises. They really wanted a camp. Because okay. of the money that the soldiers coming in for training would bring. Yeah. And one of the promises they made was they were going to take care of vice. Well, they didn't do any of it. Yeah. And so that really is what became the sca- public scandal. And that mm-hmm. it wasn't just kind of the winks and nudges that were happening locally. It was the federal government having a report about the vice. Yeah. That became known pu- locally. Yeah. 
and yeah. that became a problem. That became the problem that the people that want that the, you know the temperance movement, mm-hmm. the prohibition. A lot of that was tied up in this movement of social hygiene, which included shutting down red light districts. So yeah. it was a different attitude that emerged over the course of the eighteen nineties and the nineteen hundreds. And prior to that, did the government just turn a blind eye? I mean, it was mm-hmm. illegal. Yeah, basically. it was. It was. Uh, yeah, they turned a blind eye. Um, they saw it as a necessary thing. Yeah, they wanted a red light district because they thought there was no way to stop prostitution. So we will put it in one area. Yeah. And, of course, that one area tended to be the place that had uh, poverty issues, mm-hmm. um, tended to have um, a lot of children. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of the place where the vulnerable were going to be, you know, even more vulnerable because of having a red light district there. Yeah. Yeah. So she was a very wealthy woman. Mm-hmm. It couldn't have been just from prostitution. Um, I'm sure it was a prolific business, but <laughs> how else did she accumulate that wealth, um, being able to afford such a big house and run mm-hmm. it and, well, and she, pay her and pay her employees, her other mm-hmm. prostitutes that worked out of the home? Yeah. Um, how else did she make? She had um, she had a patron for one thing. When she okay. was required to move off of North Lyme, she said to have gotten. Uh, the patronage from a man named William Singerly. Okay. He was from Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. He was a wealthy businessman. He had his father had started the rail system in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. He had inherited and he had started banks and he was also a, a journalist. He started yeah. newspapers. So he's a wealthy man who was also an avid farmer, got interested in horses. Okay. And so he would come regularly to Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And there he met Belle Breezing. Okay. And so he became sort of her patron. So, yeah. so the way she was able to buy this big house and, and renovate and build up this big house was through his patronage. Yeah. Um, there was a major fire in the house um, after several years after she had opened, but she had insurance. Okay. So she took the fire, for example, led to her adding a floor onto the Thing and making it even bigger. Okay, better. So she had a way of, you know, she really was obviously she had help, but she was mm-hmm. a good businesswoman. She was. She, she was like a smart, smart woman. Yeah, and yeah. she, I think, she really relished. Um, when you look at her scrapbook, there's a lot of fashion. There's a lot of. Um, she was a very Victorian girl. She yeah. she loved the sentimentality. Um, she loved the fashion, and and I think that she. That's why instead of just running. A brothel. Mm-hmm. She ran a, a social hub. She loved the drinks and the socializing, the mm-hmm. dancing, and doing it upright. Yeah, she it seemed um, like she liked that connection with everybody. Yes. everybody that came through her door. And they, you know, she liked it that she had the girls in good dresses. Mm-hmm. Uh, the arrangement, the business arrangement they had was that they had to pay so much per week. Okay. Once they had paid that amount, um, they could stop working. Mm-hmm. Or they could continue to work, and it would be their own money. Okay. So she, so that was the business arrangement. I think mm-hmm. it was maybe like twenty dollars a week for each girl. Yeah. So um, anyway, but she loved this sort of make doing it big, and mm-hmm. I think she loved doing it big because she really wanted to get out of. I think that she always lived with the sorrow of her childhood, and I think yes. that's why people yes. connect to her. She's not just oh look, she made became famous, she became rich. There's this sense of tragedy mm-hmm. that never leaves her life. Yeah. Well, on that note, she did have a lot of tragedy in her. life life, mm-hmm. um, despite her wealth and mm-hmm. and despite the choices she made, then she made those on her own. Mm-hmm. Um, she attempted suicide twice. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how that happened? And Well, she had, um, you know, she developed a morphine problem that, mm-hmm. she, that um, you know, really followed her through much of her, especially her later life. Okay. Um, she had, um, you know, she, she lost her 
her marriage ended. Okay. She lost her mother at a terrible time because yeah. it had ended. Um, she had a, one of her best friends um, prior to that had accidentally was accidentally shot to death. Oh goodness! And so um, she had she had that she had um, the suicide attempts. She had um, what are some of the other things that I mean? She's just throughout her life. I think. And I think there's also just the fact that it's very clear as you read, even though it's an ongoing party, mm-hmm. she's pretty clearly an alcoholic. Yeah. And so, you know, that goes with, yeah, sure, there's the party going on. But that's, you know, always a torture because she's having to live with that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. definitely. Yeah. And, and it's supposedly in later in life when she is, she has cancer, she's addicted to morphine because of the pain mm-hmm. that she's still very much her experience even the morphine is sort of just drawing out this remaining sense of tragedy in her mm-hmm. life. So even that isn't really a comfort to her. No. Um, did she have any children during she, her? Uh, she had two children in the course yeah. of her life. Yeah. Um, um, Daisy was um, born, you know. The first bef- child. The first child. Yeah. And she was um, found to be handicapped. So she sent her to a boarding school mm-hmm. in northern Kentucky, Um and when she turned 18, she went into the permanent care. It was run by nuns, so they sent her to Michigan. So she spent, mm-hmm. out, her, spent out her life in the care of these nuns mm-hmm. for all of her life. And then she had another child while she was actually a madam okay. that was either stillborn or died okay. shortly after birth. All right. In fact, if you look at all these photos that are collected and that are in UK's mm-hmm. collection, she had all these photos, and they gathered them up. In some cases, gathered them up out of her garbage to retrieve them. Yeah. So there is a picture of a baby, and I, ha- I have to think that that's probably her child that was the that second died, child. The second that, child. Okay. How did she um, end her life? Uh, basically, the mm-hmm. last years. How how did they look like? The last well, they, years of her life. When I when you look at her life, you have three phases. You have her childhood. You have her life as a, a madam mm-hmm. and as a prostitute, and then you have her, her seclusion life. So mm-hmm. she closed her house probably, you know, 1917, thereabouts, mm-hmm. and died in 1940. So she lived in that house for a number of years. Yeah. It was just a closed house that was decaying eventually. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, one wall collapsed and she had to fix it. Um so the and so you know more we know more about her childhood than we do about this time when she was in seclusion, which I yeah. just think is fascinating because yeah. you know the, she's the sort of person that you would not know about her childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we do know that. You obviously know about when she's kind of famous because she's in the news. She's a big person. People want to collect stories about when this this place is operating. But then she just she just disappears. Kind of disappears from the story. Yeah, and there's yeah. very little that we know about her. Um, the policewoman that had gone to school with her, was sent there. She wanted to move, and the neighborhood object- did not want her to move into the, her, their neighborhood. The neighborhood. So she yeah. was charged with kind of convincing her to stay. Mm-hmm. And so we have her account of that. So she comes in, and she's more or less spending a lot of time in bed. Yeah. And she's, you know, not dressed for the day. She was in bed. She met the policewoman in bed. And um, then you also have – so you, you kind of see her. She is reclusive and – not really, and maybe even a bit of an invalid. You know, she's yeah. not really getting around. Yeah. She had a housekeeper. She kind of re- reconnected with her older sister when she closed her house. So from 17 to 1926, she's more connected to the world because okay. of her housekeeper and because of her sister. Mm-hmm. She still has friends, you know, uh, girls that live in that neighborhood that she had known that had worked for her. Yeah. Um, but she becomes much more reclusive as, after her sister dies. And mm-hmm. then, of course, then she's. Six. She had several years 
in the 30s where she had, uh, I think, cervical cancer. Wow, okay. And so um, she spent a lot of years dealing with pain, dealing with morphine addiction. And alcoholism. And alcoholism. So why do you think her story in particular became so fascinating um, to people? I'm sure there was, you know, plenty of other madams around mm-hmm. Lexington. As yeah. small of a town as it is, there were, there were others. Um, why was it? What was it about Belle Breezing that kind of stuck out to people that are that makes her so fascinating it was the way she did it mm-hmm. it was the fact that she was about being dressed in high fashion not mm-hmm. just herself but her girls it was about um you know better wine better bourbon better beer than was typical of this of a place like that it was mm-hmm. this giant house that she had and uh, you know, she had three when she opened the house there were three parlors and she said that one of their tricks was to always be able to run three parties without anybody knowing who else was there. Oh, wow. So she was she was adept at talent. it. Yeah. <laughs> so she was very adept at it. She was also um, smart. Mm-hmm. Um, she also um, became famous. Yeah. I mean, Gone with the Wind is, is you know, made her famous beyond Lexington. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, so, you know, she she did it in a certain way. Um, there were really no other. There are other houses like that in other cities, kind of the grand brothel in yeah. the Victorian era that was just so common. But um, there really wasn't any place in Lexington to compare to it. Yeah. So she was in the red light district and she had this three story house with 20 rooms. Um, she was surrounded and you'll see the picture is like of the um, auction mm-hmm. after she died. You know, the people are surrounding this house and you mm-hmm. look at all the houses around it. They're just shotgun shacks. Yeah. And, you know, so the, you know, there was no other place like that in Lexington. So she was always carried herself in a distinguished way. Yes. Despite what and, and demanded that of her girls, exactly. too, so that they had this reputation of yeah. being something somehow high class. <laughs> what inspired you to research bell breathing? Well, I grew up in Lexington uh-huh. and I don't remember ever not knowing her name. Okay. But I didn't really know much about her. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how it is for a lot of people. Just, mm-hmm. you, you know, and you don't really learn yeah. about it. And um, then I discovered that she was buried in the cemetery where my father and my son are buried. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't help but think, how does this world-famous madam end up in the Catholic cemetery? There's got to be a good story about <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah. And it ends up there was. So yeah. I, I, I wrote, I, I've always, um, I'm a journalist. Uh-huh. And so I've always been writing freelance articles, and mm-hmm. and I wrote a, a freelance article, and I couldn't find anybody that would take it, and I thought, well, I don't want to stop yeah. because the story was so interesting, and because there's so much material and it's so readily available, so I just kept looking at it, and mm-hmm. I, and today one great thing about publishing um, is that you can publish things pretty easily, so you don't mm-hmm. have to worry about. This has got to be a 500-page book because yeah. I didn't have 500 pages. Yeah. So I was able to pursue it, and, and Win Publications was willing to, to publish it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, on that note, your book is called Bell Breezing, American Magdalene, and that's available for checkout at the Lexington Public Library. Thanks, Doug, for coming by and, and talking to us about this fascinating piece of Lexington history. Yeah. Um, Bell Breezing, American Magdalene, is available for checkout and on Amazon, actually, to purchase.
Thanks for listening to Tales from the Kentucky Room, a podcast brought to you by the Central Library's Kentucky Room staff at the Lexington Public Library. If you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you have any questions about local history or genealogy research, you can visit us in the Kentucky Room to use our collection and newspaper microfilm, or you can email us at elibrarian at lexpublib.org. That's elibrarian at lexpublib.org. I'm Miriam, and we'll be back with another trip down Lexington's memory lane.